Blinds.com makes it simple to shop top quality blinds, shades and interior shutters from home with easy online ordering, free shipping and free online design help. Plus, they guarantee the perfect fit. Go to Blinds.com to see how you can reimagine the look of your home today. Rules and restrictions may apply. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Positively Chaotic. If this is your first time joining us, make sure to subscribe to the Positively Chaotic channel on YouTube. And if you're listening, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm so happy to have you here. This week, we have my friend, the legendary director, Nick Cassavetes on the podcast. Nick and I dug right into his wild Hollywood past, his unique path to filmmaking, and so much more. You know Nick from acting in unforgettable films like Face Off and the cult classic The Wraith. Nick also adapted the screenplay for one of my favorite movies, all about cocaine, Blow. And of course, you know Nick from directing some modern classic films like that little movie some of you have heard of called The Notebook, Alpha Dog, John Q, and numerous others. Nick, I am so thrilled to have you on the podcast. Words wouldn't describe how you're doing today. How's the quarantine and how's life treating you? I'm good. I, I'm, I'm equally happy to be here. Usually I'm kind of, uh, I'm, uh, I don't know, modest or shy or I have social anxiety. But since it was you, I, I don't mind talking. I, uh, I feel like having a conversation with a friend. I love that, man. And I gratefully appreciate it. And I've really enjoyed getting to know you. Um, as you know, I, I first got to know your daughter 15 years ago when I first moved to Los Angeles. And I would always hear about my dad, my dad, my dad. And it seemed like we had a lot in common because her dad was slightly wild. And my dad is definitely wild. So we, we never met back then. But uh, it's good to, to be a friend today. And I'm really happy you're on the podcast. Probably good that we hadn't. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's very crazy. You know, uh, uh, you have to consider, you know, where you're, who you're talking to. I'm a moderate and, and all things, you know, I just like people to be people. I don't like stand on soapboxes or, but uh, I don't care if I get sick. I don't really care. I've lived a good life. And if I get sick, that's the way it is. But I don't want to get anybody else sick. So it has been weird not being able to see people and, you know, engage and touch people. Uh, but you know what? I have a thousand things that I have, you know, haven't completed and writing assignments and things that I want to do when reading and everything. So it's, it's been pretty much the same for me. It's interesting. Like when I think about it in my work or in my line of work, I'm out there, I'm showing real estate, I'm interacting with people. But have you found that this extra isolation is helping or hurting the process of your work right now? Well, I, I've written a lot and, uh, you know, it, it, it hurts the process of like we we get close to making films and then everybody gets scared for coronavirus. And then they're like, well, because there's a million reasons not to make films. So they're like, oh, I don't know when we can go and well, maybe we'll go when there's a vaccine. And you're like, OK, no problem. Uh, so I just keep writing them. And writing is weird because it's weird. I always say that it's the only thing in life where everybody does exactly what you fucking tell them to do and they act perfect and they act right because you make it up. They do, they, you, uh, and you have all this crazy life of getting intimately aware with, uh, you know, connected with people that don't exist 
and you know them. They're like these ghosts that roll around in your head, you know, and when you don't make the movie, you just think about these people because you spent so much time thinking about them and how they work. And they're, you know, they are, they're basically ghosts. And uh, so I try to write as many as I can and then make as many as I can to stop the, like the marbles rolling around my head. But uh, that's what we do for a living. And uh, it sure is fun. You know, so what, when I'm, you're I'm when you're when you're writing those scripts, do you basically become the people you're writing about? Is that what you're saying? Like you, yeah, absolutely. You know, every character, like the most boring thing of any movie or any writing process, is then this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens. Yeah, but what do they look like when that happened? How do they feel? What do they do? What how do they interact? Is it there's something that I'm missing? So you really just keep going over it and over it in your head. And you try to make everybody that you write about the best version of that character. So they're multidimensional. And what happens is you find like you learn a lot more about life because you're not like those people in real, real life. But you have to like put yourself in them. So every uh, every writing gig is a journey where you learn a lot more about yourself. And, uh, you know, but I, I've written like five since we've been in quarantine. I've been very prolific. And there comes a point where like, I don't got any fucking more things to say. I'm a lot of ideas. <laughs> I'm fucking <laughs> done. <laughs> That's but, brilliant. Uh, I, I hope that uh, we all get out there again and there is a world that's like the world that we, we came from before this uh, corona hit and the people are kind. I, I mean, I hope so, but, you know, maybe not. So basically, I stay home. It's definitely crazy, but I really want to jump in, Nick, uh, going Go back to this positively chaotic life story of yours because when I did my research uh you know you were born into a ridiculously talented family and for listeners that don't know your mother is the actress Jenna Rollins your dad John Cassavetes iconic actor director your family have worked on many of these Oscar nominated films together a woman under the influence Gloria and I heard that you started working in this mad industry as a little kid making movies out of the house. I'm wondering, like, what exactly did you even help them with? How did that all come about? What did it look like back then? Well, think about it like this. Uh, Dad was making movies. You know, he got he started out as a uh, studio director, but then he got in some trouble. And so he was forced to make movies independently, which means we had a house up on Woodrow Wilson, a big old house. There was 19 people that I didn't know sleeping in that house all the time, whether when they were making a movie and when they weren't making a movie. My bedroom was the edit room. And, uh, you know, so you go downstairs and try to get some food and there'd be some dude in the kitchen trying to get your food. And you're like, who are you? He's like, oh, I'm George. I'm the grip. And you'd be like, well, leave my fucking food alone. And, and and then dad would come in in the middle of the night and he'd like be like, uh, Nick, you know, going and back then we shot on film. So all the film was hung up on bins on these little hooks, little film strips. And you'd, you'd, you'd find the film that way. They should have been well marked, but dad didn't mark anything. So he'd, he'd come in and he'd be like, you know, Nick, uh, find that picture, that, that, that film of your mom, where she scratched her nose in that take. So you get out of bed in the morning and you'd be looking for the thing and, He'd come downstairs when you're done and he'd be pitching you ideas and at three o'clock in the morning and he never slept and and he would tell you a story 
And like by judging, like by the expression on your face, he would change the story because he wanted to please. And uh, it was just an odd life. And mom would come down at like four or five in the morning, like this kid needs fucking sleep. And I was like, and I was like, ah. and he's like, he was up. I was like, oh, I, I, it was just nuts. And uh, they made some great films out of the house. But, you know, by the time I was like 10 years old, I pretty much knew how to do everything. I maybe couldn't have been an apartment head or anything like that, but I knew how to do pretty much every job on a film because That's I was cheap. Unbelievable. Late. That is absolutely incredible. And it's like I, I watched a speech of yours. Uh, I believe it was a, a nice speech you were giving to your mother. And it was a very funny line that you had mentioned where your mom would just work on these scripts for three months. And she had that amazing level of focus where she didn't give a shit about anything else that was going on except getting the job done at the time. And that's, I'm sure, where a ton of your focus comes from today. Um, By the time I was 13, 14, I'd had it. I was like out robbing cars. I played basketball. I didn't give a shit about anybody. I would barely come home and I was trouble. I was, I, I was in a lot of trouble. Not a lot of trouble, but I was just a bad kid. My mom on my 16th birthday walked in. She had suitcases, like these expensive suitcases. I said, oh, uh, she said, happy birthday. I said, are we going someplace? She goes, you are. And they threw me out of the house on the day I turned 16. And uh, I went and got a job and went to high school and played basketball and uh did a bunch of bad stuff and, you know, hated them. Uh, but it was time for me to make the break, you know? So I was out of my own and worked for Evelyn Wood Speed Reading Dynamics, you know, and at night cold calling people, found a way to make a bunch of dough. And uh, I was off and I didn't talk to them for, for many years. And I wasn't a uh, part of, you know, uh, you know, filmmaking or being creative for a while. I was hustling and I worked as a janitor at Sears and went off to scholarship for playing basketball and in school. And uh, it, it wasn't until I got back and I got sick of being a janitor and I, I went to the American Academy Dramatic Arts, some acting school, uh, that I kind of refell in love with it. I was like, oh yeah, this is what I grew up in. So, and I refound it again. It was a uh, very fortunate. That is crazy. I, I, and I have goosebumps, Nick, because my childhood is almost a replica minus my mum and dad not being in the movies as you. I was kicked out. My my bags were really? packed. Yeah, I was uh, a rebellious kid. I was kicked out of nine schools, uh, got into heavy drugs at a really young age and partying and single mom and she kicked me out and said you got to go figure it out and that's exactly what I did and I rebelled and all of that stuff sadly I wasn't a good basketball player which I know you were um, but I had to find my feet and find something I enjoyed something I was passionate about otherwise the reality is and I can fast forward to that but I'd be dead or in jail right now so it's like you found your passion and initially you didn't want to get into acting is what I read about. Was it that rebellion against, was it like you were just against the family business? Did you have resentment towards it? And then eventually you came around to it or how, how did that actually happen? Cause that's really well, dad interesting. Was, dad was so magic, right? So like he was just magic. And for my whole life, I'd watch everybody kiss his ass and be like, okay, John like this. And they're all these phony Hollywood fucking people, even though, a lot of them were cool, but to me, because I was cooler than everybody, because I was me, whatever, I just thought it was just 
actors were dorks and the people that loved it were dorks. And, you know, I, I didn't really get it. It it was just something that dad did that I understood, but it wasn't something that I had fallen in love with. As a matter of fact, I thought it was the stupidest shit I ever saw. And I and you know when you're a kid, everything is out there and you're looking for some shit and you want to be the coolest one and find the coolest shit. And to me, that wasn't cool. You know, so I would have rather picked up garbage, which I did, you know, than than do that. Uh, it was it was just it was something that I, I was really anti, you know, and, uh, it, you know, I, I was just a troubled kid. And, I, and like, you know, you say you got into drugs I, and I tell this to my kids, too. I'm like, everybody's smart these days. They eat healthy. They're vegan. They help the world. They like go on, you know, uh, on these things and help people. And, you know, they have a new vision of the world and climate change and all that. We didn't do that. I mean, the idea was you worked hard back then and the cool guys took drugs and drank and went out and partied and like chased girls and, you know, and like were part of that, that scene. And you woke up with a miserable hangover and you went to work and that was being brave and you worked all day hard and then you repeated it. And so for a period of time, you know, you get caught up on that. You know, it's like uh, I always say, like, you know, partying is like uh a war with yourself. I don't know who wins, but I definitely know who loses. I can't take that stuff. It's just too hard on the body. After when you're, it's great when you're a kid because, you know, you find yourself in crazy spots and, you know, it could be fun. But, uh, you know, I, I like the work now, man. You know, I, I like it a lot better. Of course, I'm a 61-year-old man now. Like, what the hell am I going to do partying? Well, I couldn't agree with you more. And I'll be honest, uh, and it's not something I talk about, but, you know, I, I'm sober today and I can't tell you how I don't miss waking up the next morning, forgetting what I did, who I lied to, how much money I spent, getting in my own head, having a come down from hell. Trying to remember what you did. That's yeah. a big one for me, too. Like, I, may, I was a liar. And I, all blackout drunks are liars because you got to say something. So you just make it the fuck up, you know? Yep. So, and then it goes and then it gets worse and worse because then you're yeah. just trying to figure out what the fuck you said before and before that. And it it is. It's something that I wake up now. I know exactly what I did, who I did it with, where I was. And that's a great feeling. And most people can't relate to that. Uh, but I, I mean, it certainly seems as though you can, which is great. Well, yeah, we had it, but they have all these, these other, the other people now, like we used to like, like if I had seen you and the day when we run across each other in, in the morning, we'd be like, I need some coffee. I need everyone to shut up. I need to like, you know, do my thing. And you'd know that you were part of that crew. These days, people just take pills every day. Right, they got to maintain it. At eight o'clock in the morning, they're loaded, and you're like, "Huh, okay, uh, that 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 probably won't end very well." But yeah. Anyway, it's not about drugs. What you call it? I love I uh, I love my life. I'm I love being healthy. I love the the fact that uh, there's so many things now that you can do that are good for yourself, and you can get into that that it doesn't involve like uh, chasing bad things. Absolutely, Nick. I agree 1000%. And I guess one of my biggest questions today is looking back, and this is an interesting one for me, what was the most chaotic time or moment in your life that you were able to transform into a positive experience? It's been so many, you know, I remember well, during that time when I was real young, 
uh, quaaludes were the big thing. So there used to be a girl that uh, worked at a place called Granny Takes a Trip. Now, for those of you guys that aren't that old, right across from the, on that hill, right across from uh, the Chateau Marmont, there was a shack up there where there was like eight groupie girls, all groupie girls. And what they did was they made leather rock star clothes. They sat in a room and they were smoking cigarettes and like, and there was like a three year waiting list, but they were all like groupies. So the, the guys that they knew would get their stuff anyway. It was a big thing. One of the girls, we started seeing each other and she how you used to do that you know, back in the old days is you go see the doctor and you say, I'm a drummer, I'm having a hard time sleeping. That was the code. He'd write you a prescription for, uh, for quaaludes. And we'd go around to eight or nine doctors a day. And then we'd go to the Capitol building. We'd wait in the, uh, uh, the Capitol Records building. We'd wait down in the parking lot. Somebody would come down and buy them all off us for $2 a piece. And we were like, rich, baby. We were rich. But people were dropping dead real quick back then. You know, they were like... They were dropping dead. They were dropping dead from doing drugs and probably some of the drugs that, you know, that, uh, that were floating around at that. So, you know, it was it was a dark time and uh, I had to get myself out. And uh, so then I I uh, I moved to New York and was uh, a <laughs> I, I got myself a job as an assistant director, uh, assistant stage manager for a, a stage play that was in the West Beth, which was a kind of a medium theater in Chelsea. And uh, I didn't have any place to live, so I slept on the set. I slept on the stage. And uh, I, and then after a while, you know, my 75 bucks a week, I saved some money and turned it around. That's absolutely that's unbelievable, dude. Thank you for sharing that, man. That's uh, an amazing story. Million, I had thought about that a million years. I love that you shared it. Thank you, because I think it shows so many people no matter where they are in their life right now and this is something i know because i was in a dark dark place and was able to turn it around there's so many people out there that need to hear where they were and where they can get to now and you're a phenomenal example of that now i, I want to move into your amazing amazing career because you've been directing movies from what i understand since 1996 acting since mm -hmm the 70s 69, was 69 it's yeah. a great yeah. number um was the was the transition from acting to directing just a natural shift how did that come about okay so because i didn't know anything about that. that that was weird so i wrote one thing i was buddies with a guy named uh teddy demi who's dead now who directed blow and mike deluca who used to be a mid-level executive at a studio called new line and we were like, the three of us would go out and like drink and chase girls and that kind of stuff for, for a while. And then one day, and I was an actor back then, Mike got promoted to head of New Line. And it was like having a neighborhood kid in the White House. We were like, oh shit, now we got the guy running the studio. When, when are you gonna get me an acting job? He called me up and he says, can you write? I said, what do you mean write? He says, write a script. I've got this thing blow. I want you like I think uh, I think I can get you two two fifty for it. I said, what What the fuck did you tell? Just say two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I didn't have two nickels to rub together. She said, Can you do it? I said, I fucking figure it out. So I there's like a book and they give me an office, but I was such a dumbass. I didn't even know I could order furniture for the office, so I sat on the floor and wrote this thing out and. 
and, and wrote like the first draft. I turned it in and nobody called me for eight weeks. My two best friends. And I'm like, fuck it. I'm a fraud. I'm the fucking God damn it. I blew this job. I really like this 250. I wish I could keep doing this. And nobody. And then finally, Teddy called me. He goes, I'm sitting on the runway. Here's the greatest script I ever read in my fucking life. I said, what the fuck have you been doing for eight weeks? He goes, ah, you know, I've been busy. I said, you fucking cocksucker. Like this. And then DeLuca calls. He goes, I couldn't call you without Teddy calling you. And so they were, they needed somebody for the movie and blah, 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 blah. And uh, I introduced him to Johnny. And then, you know, Johnny said yes. And the rest is history. And uh, Love but, that story, Nick. Amazing. And then... But for, I, then I started thinking, well, maybe I can write. So I wrote this little movie uh, called Unhooked to Stars. And here's another story. When I was a kid, my mom was so into being a good mom that she, <laughs> she I, I would come home and she'd be waiting there like, and I'd be like, oh, shit, what are we doing today? And uh, she goes, I have this wonderful idea. I'm going, we're going to read the encyclopedia from cover to cover. I said, what'd you say? She goes, from A to Z, and we don't have to finish it in one day. I'm like, no, no shit. But every day when I would come home, she'd sit there with the encyclopedia. And you know, it wasn't that fucking bad. We'd skip over the dumbass stuff and she would just read it. And then she'd explain to me like the context of it like this. And it took us a year. And then the next year, she, she goes, I think we're going to do it again. Let's go back over it. I'm like, fuck you. I'm not doing that shit. But I had that memory, and I was like, oh, shit, I better write this story about, like, what the difference is between, like, having a relationship between an older, you know, a woman and a child. So I wrote the story, and I, it was kind of an exercise. I wrote it. I showed it to mom. I said, what do you think? She said, what are we doing it? I said, what do you mean? What are we doing? I don't have any money. I just did this as an exercise. She said, go find the money. Let's go do it. And mom was kind of a big shot actress. So I was like, okay. I went around for two years. Couldn't find anybody. Didn't know the thing. Everyone liked the script or whatever, but they weren't giving me the money. Finally, I run into on the street in Beverly Hills, Gerard Depardieu. He says, I understand you have a movie. I give you the money. Not only that, I'd be in it. I said, are you ready? He goes, no. I said, okay, all right. Like, is everybody's talking about it? And he was like, come on, Nick, we are going to do it. We will kill everybody. I'm like, okay. So I, and he wound up giving me the fucking money. It was the craziest ass thing, him and his partner. So, but even though then they needed another actor to complete the package or whatever. And Marissa had just gotten done winning the Academy Award for, for Vinny. And they're like, we want, if we can get that, you'll do it. I said, I can, I can get anybody. No actor is going to leave alive. I'm going to get them. And uh, so I sent her the script and she kind of fucked me off a little bit. She's the sweetest person in the world, but she was like, I want to see more of a part. And I would write her like 15 pages a day and send them off to her. And finally she goes, I think I'm going to do it, but I want to meet you. And I was like, I lived in LA and I was married at the time. And I went and I didn't have no dough, but I went to, uh, Okay, I got to tell you some more stories. I went to New York and I checked myself into the Four Seasons on in the mid fifties, uh, you know, right there on Fifth Avenue. And the reason I did that is my first job. I worked for a guy named Chuck Barris. That was his assistant, and Chuck was, you know, everybody knows him from uh, that crazy thing where he said he was a, a FBI hitman. But he really did 
the dating game, the newlywed game, Queen for a Day, Gong Show, all those kind of shows. He made a shit bag of money. So what had happened is his dad had left him some money. He came to California, but he was cheap. So he got a hotel in Santa Monica, called everybody. No one would call him back. But when he checked into the Beverly Hills Hotel, everybody called him back. He got a meeting. He got the show done. He became a multimillionaire. Anyway, I stayed in the, the Four Seasons. But it was like 500 bucks a night back then. And I didn't have $400, right? And I was just like, and she kept putting me off. She kept like like eight days in a row, she would cancel like this. And I was fucking killing me. And it was my my anniversary. And my wife was like, are you coming home? Or are you just out there indefinitely? I'm like, indefinitely, you know, happy anniversary. <laughs> and we had to write her a card saying, I love you more than Marissa Tomei. <laughs> and finally I met her and she said, yeah, of course, I told you I was doing it. I was like, oh, shit, we got a movie. Long story short, my cousin, who's a big shot cinematographer back then, was starting out like me, and he shot my movie. So I got to the set the first day. I did not know what I was doing. When I tell you I didn't know what I was doing, I didn't know what I was doing. I kind of had written the script, and that was about it. And I kind of knew where people were supposed to go, but I was setting up shot. I didn't know anything. And I was starting to panic. And he said, calm down. What do you want to see? I'm like, I don't know. I don't. He goes, well, I mean, I think, know these two people. And he goes, well, something like this. And he showed it to me. I was like, oh, yeah, let's go pull back a little bit more. By the end of the day, I'm like, put the camera on the dolly. Tilt up the thing. Let's go. I'm like, it's steady. I mean, like, forget it. It was. It's not that hard learning how to set up shots if you understand, like, your job is more like communicate how you feel. So, yes, yeah, so, Sorry about that long-winded story. Are you joking? Dude, that was amazing. I mean, all of that came from uh, reading the encyclopedia with your mother over a two-year time period. And look what one thing led to the next that led to the next. It goes to show if you work at something, one door opens, the next door opens, and you believe in yourself. And holy shit, man, that's, that's what all of that led to. That is uh, pretty unbelievable, Nick, really. You know, it's such a crazy time when the world outside is hectic and we're going through this bizarre global pandemic, you really start to realize that your home is everything. It's your sanctuary. And it's easy and affordable to turn your home into even more of a personal sanctuary with Blinds.com. Blinds.com makes it simple to shop the top quality blinds, shades, and interior shutters from home with easy online ordering and free shipping. All of the experts at Blinds.com really understand that window treatments are one of those huge household items that you just don't think about, but they can make a huge impact on the look and feel of your home. You don't need to do a full renovation. By simply changing what is on your windows and the way light comes into your home, you can create a totally different feel. All I'll say is this, go to blinds.com and just take a look at all the options. Light filtering window treatments, roller shades, cellular shades, and so much more. The truth is if you're nervous about doing it yourself, there really is no reason to be. Blinds.com has helped millions of homeowners through the process with free online design help, plus they guarantee the perfect fit. Go right now and see how you can reimagine the look of your home at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. For, for people that are out there and they're like, I think this is probably true for every line of work, but if you're lucky enough to love what you do, to just find a piece of it you love, 
So the, like dad always used to say, it's unrealistic to think you're going to be in the movies and be rich. You get to do the fucking greatest job in the world. If you're rich, great, good for you. But that's not why you do it. And for me, you know, I'm 50 years I've been in the business and I've been rich. I've been broke. I've been the cat's ass where I, you know, the golden child. And yeah, I've been times where people didn't want to have nothing to do with me. But I always got, I always loved it in the search for finding things that were real and cool has never got tiresome or boring to me. So I've just been, I've been lucky, you know, been lucky I get up and go to work. Yeah. Every movie is different. Every script you write, everything you direct, I suppose everything is a, is a new chapter. I guess there's there's hundreds of questions that have opened up, which I know you definitely don't have time to answer all. But I do want to know, like, what's been the most important lesson that you've learned from your time working in Hollywood? Because I know Hollywood can be a real fucked up place with a lot of fucked up people, a lot of yes men. I know there's a lot of good that comes, a lot of bad that comes from it. But like, is there one important lesson that has stood out in those 50 years? Oh, I don't know. I mean, there's so many different lessons. Like you said, it depends. Like, you know, I think people are tired of hearing like how Hollywood is filled with fucked up people. It absolutely is, you know. But when you run across a great one, you run across a really great one. I just kind of wrap my arms around people that think the same way as me and love to do what they do, you know. And uh, and that way, I have like a community of people I can pick up the phone, and we're not talking about like how much they make. We're talking about how we can do something, and maybe it has a commonality with something that's going on today, or like why is this important, and how would we do it? And those things are interesting with those people. See, I'm lucky. I get to do all three things. I'm going to go act in a movie, which I think is the one of the greatest scripts I've ever read by a guy named Paul Johansson. I'm going to I'm going to be an actor in his film, and like I said, you know, sometimes. Writing is the thing because you just need to be the way you want it to be. And when you're directing and when you're acting, there's always there's some things that are good, but it all gets away from you. But sometimes you get sick and tired of it. And I don't like looking at a fucking computer screen anymore. I've just got to get out the fucking house. I got to like do something. And directing is an exercise and being able to control thousands of people and it's just hysteria and you don't ever have enough money, but it's super exciting. And it's the time where you actually get something tangible back to look at that. What you do is like, Oh, I did this. This is cool. Like, and that's cool. And edit period is cool because you get to like show how slick you are. And acting is really cool because like you get to think about the minutia of the one thing you're going to do and how, how, authentic can you be in that it's a real challenge because the difference between mediocre acting and good acting is molecules it's just it's molecules and so you really have to get your get your brain set to be committed to what you want to do so uh, there's so many lessons for all of those things like as a director you start out making quiet little movies that don't have any mistakes. You're terrified to make a mistake and look like an asshole, you know? And as you go along, you're like, I know how to make a movie. I'm interested in more big, bold strokes and things that have like more meaning or things that have like, could be like really wild and fun. And you don't worry about making mistakes as much. So 
right. So I, I read, uh, I listened to this interview with John Lennon one time. This is one of my favorite uh, examples. He had just come out with a single album. It was right before he died. And he, he was singing that song. I just had to let it go. Whatever that album was. And the guy was interviewing him. They're like, oh, it's cool. Your solo album is good. You know, let me ask you a question. Though. John, like, why don't you make one song like I want to hold your hand or love me do or like saw stand in there? You know, you know, you could do it. You've done it before. You write them. You read 10 of them. He's like, yeah, that's a good question. I think you're right. You know, I just think that like I was lucky when I was a kid to be in a good spot and people took care of me and we caught the attention to people and we were just doing what we were doing. I just feel like a responsibility to like if somebody takes their time out of their day to check in with like, oh, I wonder what John's doing, you know, that it should be reflective of like what I'm doing as opposed to just trying to make money or please them or something like that. They're, they're taking their time to check in with me. The least I can do is show them what I'm about. I was like, there it is. For me, that's it. So I just do my thing, you know. I've been rich. I've been poor. Rich is better. But what are you going to do? <laughs> but you embrace the chaos. You embrace the different directions you go in, no matter whether it's acting, directing, writing. You see, to what I can tell, the glass is always half full. I'm sure it's not always because life ain't perfect. But you you, em you embrace all of that chaos. And as chaotic as your uh, professional career has been, I'm curious to hear about the personal side of your life, Nick, because I think everything you've done in your professional career uh, is nuts. I mean, it's definitely out of the ordinary for sure. But I'm curious, like, what was your experience like coming up in Hollywood? How did you navigate those personal friendships and relationships? Was it difficult? What, what did that look like back in the day? I, I think I mentioned before, I'm kind of like a socially not really so great. So if, if I'm going to have friends, I'm probably, when I was a kid, I was drinking or like getting high or something like that. Cause I, I just, I get too self-conscious, you know, I, I uh, never was one of those like super like handsome dudes and like was, you know, all the girls loved and everything like that. And, and I was athletic, but I wasn't really like jockey and like, you know, have my bros and anything like that. And I lived on a hill, you know, I couldn't get any place until I, you know, got a car and stuff. So I was always kind of a dork, you know. So this is how much of a dork I was. Wow, this is a fucking crazy story. I haven't told this one in a long time. I was in seventh grade and there was a girl named Susan Hartuni. And I hope you're out there, baby, someplace. Uh, and she was kind of a dorky kid like me. I was like kind of brainy kids that all, all the kids hated and stuff like that. And she had big... She wore aviator glasses that were thick. She couldn't see very well. And uh, and all the kids made fun of her. And they were like this. And she went away in eighth grade to go to another school. And when she came back, she had blossomed into like this stunning creature. And we were at, we had these dances back then. That's what you did when you were in eighth grade or whatever. Ninth, eighth grade, ninth or ninth, I can't remember. But she came back and all the dudes were like all over asking her to dance and she like nah i'm gonna dance with him she danced with me all night and i was like yeah you guys get the didn't get the memo you got to be fucking nice anyway so 1989 many years later 15 20 years later my dad's dying in the hospital he's in cedar sinai and uh they just told me that he's not gonna make it and i need to make some plans and uh I never, never believed that my dad was going to die, even though he was sick for a long time. It just, he was just always so 
giant that I didn't believe in. And he was going to die and he was going to die in the next like 24 hours or whatever. And I walk out into the lobby, not knowing how to tell my mom or anything like that. And there's Susan Hartunian. Just haven't seen her in 15, 18 years, like some weird angel. And she threw her arms out and she said, come here, Nikki. I'm so sorry. And she embraced me and I didn't know where I was and I didn't really fully, you know, understand the importance or take advantage of that moment. But then she was, I guess, some intern or a doctor there and she walked away and I never saw her again. I've never seen her till this day. And uh, my life has been blessed, you know, just really blessed. You know, I, I don't know why. I was going to say, life, life works in mysterious ways. Just when you when you don't expect something to happen, it it happens. It's kind of crazy, right? Yeah, and just you know, I have a, I have a beautiful world that I love. I have three beautiful daughters. Uh, I have a grandson. You know, things are good. You know, things are things are things are good. You know, if you get if you find a clock that can turn back the time and make me younger, I'll be happy to. Uh, to give everything I have to do that. But beside that, the clock ticks and we enjoy every day and uh, try to play as hard as we can. Well, you look good. You're healthy. We're in a pretty crazy time, but uh, you know what? Thank God we're we're healthy. And I, I think we've already touched on it today, but I mean, I know back in the day there was a big partying phase. I'm curious, like, how long you were in that whole party scene for how you got out of it it's a hard scene to get out of you know what what were the vibes like back then because i'm sure the party scene back then is very different to how the party scene is today right it, the yeah, times it were different good. it was good back then and it sucks now but it, it was more socially kind of accepted you know like if you partied everybody knew what you were doing and you know for me I, it was always, I like to have fun and I was always kind of a dork. And so that was, it kind of was like magic sauce for me to be like gregarious and fun and entertaining and, you know, whatever. In 1999, you know, I got carried away with myself and they, they locked me up in Camp Funny Farm for a little while. And, uh, I, uh, the people would, uh, were talking and, uh, about the big book and Bill W and the kind of therapy that I did while I was away. When you think about it, 30 days shouldn't have cured me, but it was like me when I went to acting school. I just love, I just loved it because it made sense. It was like a, a rule book that I was like, Oh, this ain't that fucking hard. This is what we're at. We got to be you know, honest and like, and we can, and, and I will be honest with you. What you said was uh, it was a big thing that I never had to feel hungover again in my life was a big one. And, you know, I went to be even more transparent. I had meetings at my house for seven, eight years. I went back in and tried to, like, re redo it. It didn't work for me. So I just am kind of like normie now, like if uh, I don't drink at all and there's no good drugs around. And even if there was, I'm too old to do them. So, you know, I don't even really, I don't even trip on it no more, man. You know, uh, I, I, uh, I get up, I go to the weight room every day of my life and I take my little walk or my little jog every day of my life. And I guess those are my drugs now. You are built like a brick shit house, by the way. <laughs> no one can actually see right I'm now. Full, I'm full grown. I'm full grown. And my wife always laughs because when I see myself in the mirror, I look like the rock. Uh, thank God. But 
finally it's at, there's actually something there <laughs> so, Keep it up, brother I, I actually it's been a lifesaver for me that's like i know where i'm going at least part of my day i'm going to do some exercise and yep. you know and you get to be healthy and you get to look good hey let me have to win win so win win right there so moving on completely away from the the acting career uh and i didn't even know this but when i was researching you i saw you came fifth place in the world poker tour another big accolade to your belt right uh how the bloody hell being as busy as you were did you even get into that poker world did you always play cards i mean what what drew you to that big high stakes world of poker and how the hell did that all come about well okay my dad and my grandmother taught me how to play bridge when i was a kid and i played so much that what i i, re- I met at my uh my college roommate was a terrific bridge player and we became young grandmasters uh, at, at bridge and uh, just it means you played. We got lucky in a few tournaments and played well, and, but we had good card sense. So in 1990, whatever it is, the moneymaker year, the 2004, uh, when moneymaker won the tournament and everybody started playing poker, I would, they was like, you want to play poker? And we'd be playing for like two cents, nothing. And I was stunned at how, unsophisticated people were about counting cards and like knowing, understanding what was out and what you're doing and how to play. And, you know, reading people who are lying to me is what I do for a director as a director. Anyway, I'm always looking at people to see if they're authentic or not. And we just started playing in our home game here. And, uh, I got very lucky. We, uh, we won some money early and then I went to my first tournament, which was the world series of poker main event. And when I tell you I didn't know how to play, I really didn't know how to play. I mean, I was, like, really bad. But, like, I knew how to play, but I was just bad. I went there, and I went on a – I got hot. And I, out of, like, 9,000 people, I finished in the top 100 at 90-something or something. And I was so mad that I lost. I thought I was going to win the whole thing because I was arrogant and I was stupid. But I went to the cashier's thing, and they paid me, like, $132,000 in cash. I was like, what is happening here? I need to do some study. So I used some of that money and I would, I, I went to some uh, pro players. I said, can you teach me actually how to play? Because, you know, and they're like, yeah, this is great because everyone just thinks you're a film director. No one's going to see you coming. You're actually pretty good, you know, for, but you, you know, like in 10 years, you might be something. And I spent a lot of time studying the game and, uh, and playing in games that were I could beat and that were the players were not as good and there was a lot of money in them. And then people started losing their damn minds. People started playing for a lot of money and they didn't know how to play at all. And I ran a poker game for 15 years at my house and uh, they would come and there would be pretty girls there and people would come and lose their money and shake my hand. And, you know, Molly's game was on Tuesday and my game was on Wednesday and, uh, it was a it was a more social game. It didn't get as out of control as Molly's game, but uh, I wanted to make a, a good deal of money uh, playing poker. And uh, usually, guys that were better than me, like pros, would beat me, and the amateur guys I could beat. Man, that is crazy. Molly's game was an incredible movie. It's funny because I know some of the people that. I, well, I don't know the characters, but I know the people that were actually in those games and that they were pretty crazy high state games. And yeah, I played that game for a long time too. It was uh, so much so that when it came out, 
she's like, you're going to like this. I didn't mention you once. I'm like, yes. <laughs> and uh, it, the movie is uh, just what it is. It's a movie. It's not how that went down, but it, it certainly, I enjoyed the movie. But uh, I'm sure you know, when you say that's not how it went down and we don't need to spend a bunch of time on this, what, what, what do you mean by that? I'm actually curious. The movie supposed that she had a drug problem and that, you know, brought her down. That's not what happened. There was some things that uh, were done that she could no longer continue uh, having that game. And it's like, what happened with my game? Nine games show up at the same night as your game. And people are, you know, like you'd have to like call people and make sure they're coming and people are offering better deals. And it just becomes a very competitive thing, which I didn't have the stomach for anymore. I was just like... If they want to come play with me, great. If not, I don't care about playing. And to be quite honest, I I spent a lot of time playing cards when I should have been making movies. I probably would have made a few more movies of her, and if I wasn't so interested in like making money, you know. Was 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 playing cards a hobby, or did it turn into more of a business then? Because sounds to me like it was more like professional rather than just a hobby and a fun night in. It's a it's a mix. All I can tell you is like. It's hard getting up the next day after you made a few hundred thousand bucks and be like, let me write something like fuck yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really want to get, you know, it's just the money's too easy, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but you know, all good things come to an end. I'm happy that, that it, that it went that way. I'm happy that we didn't have to suffer any consequences and that everybody we played against could afford it. And everybody had a good time and, you know, now different chapter. Yep, different chapter moving on. Let me ask you this, Nick, and and uh, this for me, again, is a really big one. What comes to mind as the moment where everything in life changed for you? There has to have been a turning point. Yeah, I, I probably, you know, I always say that my life is uh, divided into two parts, you know, with the part when my father was alive and the part when he was, uh, you know, when he died, everything I don't, I don't, I couldn't probably have become successful if my dad was alive. You know, it was, I had a relationship with him that superseded everything and he uh, needed to do what he's doing. And a lot of times he needed me to help him. And it was, it was a big shock for a guy my age like that. He was just so giant in my life that uh, I had to pull up my, uh, my, my belt and uh, do just doing a lot of things I didn't want to do and lonely and, yeah, that, that was it. That was it. There's really nothing else. That was uh, when my dad died, life changed forever. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for, for opening up about that. And it's interesting because you have touched people's lives in a myriad of ways over the years with your acting, your your films, storytelling. Do you ever think about your legacy? Do you ever think about what you hope your legacy to be one day. Does that ever cross your mind? Uh, my legacy was very clear. You know, we make jokes about it all the time. Great last name, bad first name. I'll be, I'll be John Cassavetti's kid my entire life. And that's cool. You know, like uh, I hope that people, you know, when they think about me as a human being, it's that I was kind and like, uh, maybe funny and uh and my work was you know as authentic as i could possibly made it and you know i did the things that i wanted to do and and maybe some people enjoy that you know that would be plenty that would be plenty well for for what it's worth and i know you love your mum and dad to the moon and back and and you know you have 
very noteworthy parents. I know Nick Cassavetes and I look up to you tremendously. All your movies, success, just knowing you as a friend, getting to know you. Think you're a wonderful, wonderful person. Obviously, I know your daughter Gina, who is an absolute sweetheart, and uh, I think nothing, nothing but greatness from you, Nick. So I want to uh, thank you. The time has come to wrap things up. At the end of every episode, though, we close things out with a little segment called "Chaotic Questions with James." So are you ready, Nick? Yes, sir. All right, here we go. What room in your house do you spend the most time in? Bedroom. What are you currently learning? Uh, I am learning about the fashion industry. Love that. What motivates you? Interest. What chore do you absolutely fucking hate doing? The floors. Couldn't agree with you more. And what piece of advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, just stop. Just fucking get over yourself, you idiot. Uh, You know, I wish I had become a man earlier than than it turned out to be. I was too busy having a good time for way too long. I, I, I can't thank you enough for being a guest on the podcast. I know you've mentioned you're not the most active on social media, but is there a place people can follow you or stay up to date on your projects? Or is there a project that we should be keeping our eye out for? Oh, I've, I've got plenty coming up. Uh, I, I, my Instagram is Paul underscore Seminus, S-M-E-N-U-S, but it's kind of just my my thing. I don't do a lot of, you know, self-promotion and taking bows you know when the movies come out you'll see them i love it nick thank you my man follow me james bond st catch million dollar listing los angeles on bravo and to everybody watching hit that subscribe button on youtube if you're listening please leave a review on apple podcasts subscribe and listen anywhere you get your podcasts tell your friends and your neighbors and anyone else who would enjoy the positively chaotic podcast thank you for listening Blinds.com makes it simple to shop top quality blinds, shades and interior shutters from home with easy online ordering, free shipping and free online design help. Plus, they guarantee the perfect fit. Go to Blinds.com to see how you can reimagine the look of your home today. Rules and restrictions may apply.